Welcome back to the Word on Fire show. I'm Brandon Vaught, the Senior Content Director here at Word on Fire. We have a great show for you on the topic of how to draw young people back to the church. We're going to talk about why young people leave the church, myths about these young people and winning them back to the church, and then finally some tips and strategies, a game plan for drawing them uh, back to God and His church. But before we get there, Bishop, good to see you. Always a delight. Thanks, Brandon. Always good to talk to you. A lot of this episode is based around a new book that we've just released at Word on Fire, which I can humbly say was written by myself. The book is titled Return, How to Draw Your Child Back to the Church. It has a foreword by Bishop Barron himself. You can learn more and get your copy at return.wordonfire.org. That's the website, return.wordonfire.org. If you're a parent, if you're a youth minister, if you're a teacher, if you're anyone who works with young people who have questions or doubts about the faith or who have already drifted away, this book will give you a lot of hope and a lot of practical advice. Um, what I thought we'd do, Bishop, is instead of covering themes in the book specifically, I thought we could just discuss this major issue that you and I have, have spent many episodes focusing on. In some ways, it's kind of emerged as one of the the driving questions of, of Word on Fire. Um, maybe let's start there. I, I think when you started your YouTube ministry, when you were uploading homilies on uh, the website, a lot of what you were doing was was aimed at evangelizing Catholics themselves and providing ministry resources for them. But I think in recent years, you've clearly taken a pivot to realize, no, no, this is the major problem. All the people that are becoming unaffiliated, that are throwing off God, throwing off religion, would you say that's emerged as one of the fundamental missions of your life and of Word on Fire? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you're right. In the early days, you know, yes, reaching out to Catholics. Also, I'd say the outreach to, to atheists, you know, so we had the aggressive new atheist thing going on in the, in the zeros and the early tens. So that was a focus of a lot of my videos. Uh, and then the, the movie commentaries and all that, they were meant to, I think, maybe re-engage Catholics who had lost touch and maybe help them think about the faith in a new way. But yeah, as years have gone by, and then my work with you in the Bishop's Committee for uh, Evangelization and Catechesis, we made the outreach to the nuns, so-called, our number one priority. And I encourage the bishops in general, and they basically have adopted that, to make it their number one um, priority. And I, I can't think of something more important right now in the life of the church than the fact that we are, to use your own language, hemorrhaging young people. Um, no matter how you slice it, we're losing a lot of young people from the church. So why are they leaving? How to get them back? Um, those should be really top priorities for the whole church. In the book, I kind of take a three-fold approach to this issue. So in the first section of the book, we look at the problem. Why are young people leaving the faith and where are they going? What do they look like after they leave? Because that's just as important. The second part is looking at a series of myths about why they leave, um, myths about how to bring them back. And then the final part offers an extensive game plan with specific steps and tips and strategies and how to guide young people back to the church. So let's use that framework for the rest of our discussion here. Um, first of all, the problem. Now you and I, again, have done lots of episodes looking at the reasons that young people themselves give us. We don't have to guess. You know, There's yep. been surveys done of people lots who have left them. the church telling yep. us why they've left. And they mentioned things like faith and science, the sexual moral issues. Um, they don't 
see any evidence for God or any good reasons to believe in God. Um, again, we've talked about those objections a lot, and I maybe will share some past episodes in the show notes here. But I wanted to talk with you about something else that oftentimes I found when young people leave the church, it's not just things that are pulling them away, objections that are pulling them away from the church. Equally important, I think, is that for a lot of young people, they don't have anything anchoring them to the church. They don't have any good reasons to stay. And kind of as I talk about in the book, one of the things they need is to have a personal encounter with Christ through the church, ideally through the sacraments. If they don't have that, they're going to be easy pickings for anyone who wants to draw them out of the church. Is that your experience too? You know, yes, it is. And I go back to our friend uh, Stephen Bullivant, who's done some research along these lines, to ask people who have disaffiliated, what do you remember fondly about the church? And I thought that was a very interesting um, question. And they'll say things such as the community. So even those who've left, they remember, well, but there was a, a vibrant sense of community in the parish. Others will say uh, the beauty of the liturgy and that they, they miss that. Even as they've disaffiliated, they miss the beauty of the liturgy. Um, so those are two things that, to use your language here, are functioning as, as anchors. See, we can look at this issue in terms of uh, addressing the problem as it already exists or trying to prevent the problem from emerging in the first place. So getting the nuns to come back, that's one thing. But how about preventing there being nuns in the first place? Uh, I would add to those two things. So community, yes, indeed. Uh, Beauty, yes, indeed. And I would, as I've been saying now, beating this drum for years, um, an apologetics and a healthy theology that holds off some of the questions that young people have. We know what they are. It's not that complicated. We know the issues that are, are really bugging people. Well, let's have a preventative strategy in place. You know, let's have a preemptive strike against these questions by having really good um, answers. So I, I like that two-pronged, how to get them back, but maybe even more importantly, how to prevent them from becoming nuns in the first place. You're a bishop in the time of covid what effect do you think COVID is having on this problem? I'm guessing you would agree it's making things worse. Yeah, and it's been bugging me a lot. And so generally speaking, I've been saying this now, both at the local level here in LA and then nationally, is I worry a lot that now it's been almost a year that people have been, for the most part, staying away from Mass on Sunday. They were already staying away from Mass. I mean, so our numbers weren't great to begin with. I worry very much that Catholics will say, well, okay, it's, you know, I've gotten used to this pattern. Or, well, the church must not take it that seriously if we were allowed to spend a whole year away from Sunday Mass. You know, not acknowledging how strange and unique this time is. But if that's true generally, I'd say a fortiori, it's true for younger people who are already disaffiliating, already staying away in droves. So, yeah, it does, it does worry me. I think we pastorally have got to be very strategic about addressing this issue. You know, whenever I used to go around and speak a lot more often at parishes or dioceses or conferences or whatever, there'd usually be a Q&A at the end of whatever talk I was giving. And I recognized that no matter what subject I was speaking about during the Q&A, there would inevitably be a parent or a grandparent who was lamenting this problem, that my son, my daughter, they went off to college and now they don't go to church, you know, or I wish my family would come back to the faith. And then I started talking to priests and bishops like yourself, 
And they would tell me the same thing. It's just the most pervasive lament that we hear from uh, parents and from grandparents in our parishes. But then I realized that after talking with a lot of them, many of them, when I would say, well, like, what are we doing to draw them back? What are you doing? What are we doing as a parish? What are we doing as a diocese? I got a lot of just blank answers yeah. <laughs> or um, the most common one I got, and this was from a lot of priests, and maybe this is a generational thing, but they would say, well, you know, that's just normal. Kids leave, and then when they get married or when they have kids, they'll come back. Uh, do you think that's a good pastoral approach? Uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, I don't. Uh, when I was coming of age, we heard that all the time. That was a standard bit of, of wisdom. It was, well, sure, religion, you know, older people naturally gravitate toward it. Uh, young people tend to disaffiliate when they're in their teen years or early 20s. But when they, as you say, marry and they want their kids baptized, they, they tend to come back to church. That was taken as sort of common wisdom. I think statistically now it's been shown over and over again that that's not true, that they're not coming back that same way. Um, our problem is, is more pervasive. And I think you're right, too, that people will so easily just give in to hand-wringing. So it's, it's easy to say, oh, how awful and how terrible that you know, my child or grandchild has left the faith. Well, okay, yeah, it is terrible. So what are we doing about it? You know, let's start thinking and acting and strategizing. Or, you know, and again, I'll, I may at the risk of setting up a, a, a tension here, but well, you bishops, what are you doing about it? <laughs> you priests, what are you doing about it? Well, we have a lot to do about it. That's true. I don't deny that. And we should be providing the leadership. But the front lines on this issue, it's not with the priests and bishops. It's with parents. It's with family members. It's the laity on the ground that I think have the real responsibility to address this issue. So, yeah, it should be a call to arms and not just an opportunity to you know, wring our hands. So that's one myth that I commonly see that, oh, if we just kind of wait for them, they'll come back once they yeah. get married or once they have kids and want them baptized or put into school. And again, if that ever was true, it's, it's not true it's not anymore true demographically. Yeah. But the second myth, and it kind of is on the other end of the spectrum, is that I'll encounter a lot of really smart, devout families, parents, grandparents who love their faith, passionate about it but then fall into a sort of despair or hopelessness when it comes to their kids. They'll just say, you know, I'll say what you just said, well, what are we doing? Let's talk about some strategies we can maybe think of to, to help them take one step closer back to the church. And they'll say, no, nah, you don't get it. My child is so far away from the church. They're so into this immoral activity or they've abandoned religion so completely. There's no hope. There's no chance that they'll ever come back. What would you say to a parent who has that sort of level of despair? Well, first, it's not trusting enough in God's grace. I mean, ultimately, this is a question of, of prayer and asking the Lord, you know, to guide us and to guide those who have fallen away. But also, Brandon, I would say this, is ask someone who is going to Mass and staying connected, well, how come? What is it about this that is making you uh, motivated? Why do you find this life-giving? Well, name that. Identify it. And then do the best you can to communicate that to people who are, have disaffiliated. Um, so if we're just totally passive about it, we don't even know why we're staying connected. Well, then we're not going to communicate much enthusiasm to the disaffiliated. So f look into your own soul and say, well, here's why. Here's why the, the faith means a lot to me. Here's why going to Mass is not just fulfilling some external obligation, but it's feeding my soul. Articulate first for yourself why that's true, 
And then you'll be able better to communicate that. Um, and then always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you, as we hear in the, in the scriptures. Um, be ready. Be ready to give an account of it when someone asks. And it might not be necessarily a challenging question, but just a curious question. You know, how, how come you're a Catholic? You go to Mass, I guess, every Sunday. Like, what, what do you get out of that? Well, be ready. That's a great evangelical opportunity. If you just say, oh, I don't know, that's something I do. And, well, that's not going to compel anybody. And I don't mean you have to be Thomas Aquinas, but I mean have some account that you can give in short compass to someone that wonders, what do you find compelling about this? Uh, I think that's, that's essential here. I've seen that a lot with my fellow millennials and those in the Generation Z beneath us, that a lot of them grew up in a household where their parents did take them to Mass every Sunday, which is great, but it was very perfunctory, and it was never really explained why, why we do this and what's the meaning and value of, of going to Mass. And their parents never conveyed, you know, why we're doing this beyond just an arbitrary duty. And so then, to me, it's, it's no surprise that when a child moves out and goes off to college, if, if they didn't see any good reason why their parents went to Mass, there's not going to be a good reason for them go to, to go to Mass. So I love that advice, to turn inward and ask yourself, why am I involved in the church? Why do I go to the liturgy? Why do I worship God? Those are all good probing questions for a parent. What I think, too, something as simple as, let's say your your, uh, parents bringing young kids to Mass. Now, afterwards, you're having your brunch or your breakfast, and um, hey, what did you guys hear at the like in the readings? What did something strike you? Did you have a question that came out of that, or how about the homily that Father gave today? Did that makes sense to you. What what didn't you understand? What did you like about it? And just try to engage people so that mass is not just this perfunctory thing we did for fifty minutes on a Sunday morning, but it becomes part of your day and part of your week. Uh, and it, it doesn't have to be super complicated. Just questions as simple as that. Hey, tell me what, do you remember that first reading? What was going on in that? Uh, and then if, if you prime your kids, so it, as you go to Mass, say, yeah, after, afterwards we're going to just um, talk about these readings. So, you know, listen, I don't know, simple things like that that keeps them engaged. Um, refer to the readings throughout the week. Hey, do you remember the Gospel last Sunday? And that maybe applies here. And um, and then let the questions naturally arise. Questions are great. We just did, what, two weeks ago, the kids' question episode. Um, beautiful. Let the questions naturally arise. And then don't run away from them. Address them. Um, I don't know if I've shared this memory, Brandon, with you before, but my, my mother was not well-educated. Like most people, her generation, she went to high school, uh, and that was it. But my mother was a natural theologian. And I say that now as a, I'm kind of a trained theologian, my mother was a natural theologian. She just loved those questions about God and eternal life and heaven and, and the, the good life and the saints. And when I was a little guy, like seven years old, eight years old, I remember having pretty intense conversations with my mother on these theological matters. Good. That's what uh, Christian Smith says, right? The great sociologist of, of religion at Notre Dame, that families that talk about religion that's when the kids stay. Families that never talk about religion, the kids tend to disaffiliate. I think that's a really important theme. So parents, grandparents, find a way, and if you have to provide a little structure, okay, find a way to talk about religion with your kids. 
again, having talked to lots and lots of parents and grandparents about this issue, you know, I, I sympathize with their heartache and, uh, you know, we talk through what we could possibly do and they, they say, well, like, just give me one thing I can do. And <laughs> inevitably I say, well, if you do nothing else, you should be praying for your child. Pray that the Holy Spirit stirs his heart. Pray that God works in his life. Pray that God sends like an Ambrose type figure into Augustine's life to help draw him back. But pray, pray, pray. And, and I say, I don't mean that in a trite way. I really believe that's the most significant thing you do. But then parents will inevitably respond, yeah, okay, okay, pray, pray, pray. But like, tell me <laughs> something practical that I can do. Uh, but I'm guessing as a bishop, like you'd want to put the brakes on like I would and say, yeah, yeah, but... But prayer really can move the needle when it comes to young people leaving the church, can it? Sure. And, and you know, you talk about in the book lots of practical strategies, and there are, and of course we should look at those. But yes, the whole project has to be surrounded by, undergirded by, preceded by prayer. In the Bible, nothing of moment ever happens apart from prayer. Nothing important happens without prayer. Um, now, why is that true? Well, we can go into, into disquisitions theologically about why that's true. In a way, don't worry about that. Just accept the principle that God is delighted when we ask him for things, and his providence is coordinated in such a way that there is a harmony between our praying and the, uh, and the uh, effect that we're looking for. Not that we're causing God to do something he wouldn't otherwise do. And that's where this gets a little technical theologically but they're coordinated in his providence. Don't worry about the theological details. Just follow the principle. It's a biblical principle. Uh, you know, Jesus, knock on the door. It will be open to you. Seek and you will find. Uh, don't give up. Ask, ask. How often, Brandon, both Old Testament and New, something like persistence in prayer is emphasized? Pray again and again and again. Maybe the most famous story, you know, in... Um, the Christian era is, is Monica praying for the conversion of her son. How long did she pray? Years, decade, over a decade. Pray, pray, pray. When things looked hopeless, when Augustine looked like he was as far away from the church as he could get. And she prayed him into being Saint Augustine. I mean, so uh, there's our great model. And I know you can see this in sort of a trivial way, I suppose, or that's, oh, that's just, uh, you know, decorative. Sure, say a little prayer. No, no, I don't mean that. I mean before, during, after you pray for what you're seeking. And in the great spiritual physics that God has established, and I, I can't go into all the details right now, but in that spiritual physics, there's an efficacy to prayer. And uh, so, yeah, I'm for it. <laughs> <laughs> so again, start with prayer, start with fasting, make small sacrifices on behalf of your child's faith. Um, but then once we move into the practical realm of, of actions, uh, what I recommend to parents is your first step should be more of like a reconnaissance mission where you're trying to determine why exactly it is that your child has left the church. And it could be, as it is for lots of kids, that there wasn't just one reason. They kind of just drifted away slowly over time. But that itself is a helpful data point to know that, okay, they don't have a major block. They kind of just drifted. Um, talk about this need of, of trying to ascertain why exactly someone has left the church. Yeah, why not? I mean, I like how the um, surveys we referred to ask that question. And 
young people seem pretty open to answering them. We've had tons of surveys, and the kids come right out with the answers. So, okay, ask. Ask. It shows you're interested in religion. It shows that you take it seriously. It shows you're taking them seriously. If a parent, you know, a kid drifts away and the parent goes, oh, all right, that's the way it goes. Well, then what it signals to the child is, oh, I guess this isn't very important. Certainly not important to my parents. They're not even worrying about it. No, so I don't mean aggressively, but, but it, it clearly shows you think it's serious. You're interested in the issue and in them. So, yeah, I, I believe that. Ask. Now, maybe the young person isn't able even to articulate it. That's possible. But, you know, probe and ask and cajole and maybe try to get them to see it. Or maybe even suggest, well, heck, that's kind of a bad reason. You can't even say why. Then, you know, then why not? <laughs> but when they do say why, all right, all right, now be ready. Now be ready. As you point out, Brandon, and you've contributed to this yourself, there's tons of materials now of good apologetics. Um, answering the standard objections, and I, I know what they are, you know what they are. It's not that hard to, to know what the standard objections are. All right, delve in, read up, get some good books, assemble some arguments in your mind. Oh, it's not all about arguments. I know it's not all about arguments, but it is about arguments, you know? I mean, I, I, that to me has been a, a, a counterproductive strategy. It was big in, in the years I was coming of age that, oh, you know, we don't want to give arguments to young people, and it's all about experience. It's all about just getting them to, you know, take care of the poor. And I mean, that has been a dead end because it is, not exclusively, but it is indeed about argument. And to take seriously the intellectual objections that uh, young people have. So uh, pray indeed, and then do that reconnaissance work. And then, heck, if you, you find... All right, your, your work has paid off. I know why he's left. Maybe at that moment, you're not able to give the definitive answer, but say, you know what, I'm going to get back to you on that. I, I'm going to eventually, let's sit down, and I, I'm going to you know, dig around a little bit and, and talk to some people and read some good books, and, and let's, let's talk about it again. Nothing wrong with that. Love to hear you say that because that's exactly what I recommend in the book. Um, so again, the book's titled Return, and in the book, I, I look at, the most common reasons people will give when you ask this question and give helpful resources on each one of those hot button issues. Um, Bishop, let me ask you this too, uh, and it follows up on your on the re responses you've received when you've advocated for arguments. I know that's a loaded term for a lot of people because yeah. when they hear arguments, they think argumentative. We're fighting. They think you've yeah. got to be brash and bombastic. <laughs> right. Um, but what do you think about the word reasons? Like I've always felt you just need to give reasons for yeah. what we believe. And it's the quote you just quoted earlier from yeah. St. Peter. That's the language he uses. We just need to be able to give reasons for yeah. our faith. Absolutely. Uh, right. It doesn't mean that we're getting into fights with people. An argument is a presentation of a um, perspective. It's making a case for something. It's setting it out in a way that it becomes persuasive to someone else. So you have a conviction, but now you want someone else to share that conviction. Well, you have to make an argument. Give me another word. If you don't like the word argument, I don't care. A line of reasoning, uh, reasons. But you present why you found this compelling and why I think you should find it compelling too. Um, and there are lots and lots and lots of good arguments that have been articulated by some of the very brightest people in Western civilization and are now available in a more popularized way in a number of books. So use them, use them. 
and have a good spirited discussion with a young person about these issues. Uh, I, I think once you signal a willingness, they'll, they'll respond. They, they know these questions are important, you know, about, about evil and suffering and eternal life and God and justice. And they know they're important questions. So if you're willing to engage them, I think it'll open up the mind and heart of a young person. What advice would you give to a parent or a grandparent who says, um, yeah, that's great, but you don't know my child or my grandchild. They're, they're either so resistant to even talking about religion or they're just so indifferent, they don't even care about it. It's not on their radar. What advice would you give to kind of prime the pump or make those conversations easier to happen? Well, ask them maybe. So, you know, coming on strong, um, you know, hey, let me give you a bunch of arguments, is always patiently listen to where they're coming from. But that doesn't mean passivity. I mean, you can, I think, still inquire of a young person, um, but then patiently listen to what they're actually saying. Uh, I mean, I get the whole kind of torpor problem, especially with teenagers. They can often get, you know, kind of slothful about about all of life, you know, so I get that. But patient attention to the problem patient raising of the question, um, prayer, uh, asking the saints to stir up something in this young person, stir up some interest in them. You know, if I use the jargon of the theologians, uh, often the limit experiences of life bring you in touch with religion, times of, of failure, times when you're up against what you can't do, you've come to the end of your capacities and all that. Well, oftentimes teenagers begin to feel those moments of life, you know? Um, good. That's a moment when religion can now be introduced into the conversation. We've got those lower limits of life, but then you've also uh, acknowledged that it's often at the highest yeah. limits of life when you are faced with these questions, when you do have everything you want. You've got exactly. the job you want, the money you want, exactly. the marriage you want, the life you want, and you're still unsatisfied. That can be another point of entry, can Yeah, because that's also a limit experience. And C.S. Lewis, as you know, said that. It's at the moments of greatest worldly satisfaction that I can be most aware of what transcends, because we all know that. I've achieved <sighs> everything I wanted. I got it all. And then it seems like within moments, I'm kind of restless again, and I'm, and I, is, wait, is that it? And am I going to lose this? And how long will this last? And well, I'm going to die anyway. And you know what I mean? Is right away, you're at the limit there of, of worldly attainment. That's also a moment when God often intervenes. So yeah, negative limits, positive limits. Um, help your young people see that. Help them sense it. All right, let's close with this final question. Um, suppose you're leading a conference and there's thousands of parents and grandparents whose children have left the church and you're kind of wrapping the whole conference up and you can give them one bit of encouraging pastoral advice or recommendation. What do you say to these thousands of, of parents who are despairing over this problem? Well, I, I re review what we just said in this way. I'd say pray and be prepared. You know, pray, yes, before, during, after, surrounding every moment of it. Pray with the, with the passion of Monica. But then I'd say, be prepared. In other words, don't just wait passively. Um, it's not that hard, actually, to find out what is bugging young people and how to respond, at least in a, in a reasonable way. So get prepared. 
don't just wring your hands. Don't blame others or blame the bishops or whatever. You get prepared to enter into these uh, conversations. So pray and be prepared. And a great way to do that, at the risk of tooting our own horn, is to pick up the newest book from Word on Fire. It's a book I wrote titled Return, How to Draw Your Child Back to the Church. You can order your copy at return.wordonfire.org. We also have put together some really helpful group discussion guides based around the book. So buy a lot of copies for fellow parishioners and maybe a group of parents in your own parish read through the book together and discuss it. And you help each other in this mission of drawing your own children back to the church. Well, it's time now for our question from one of our listeners. Today we got one from Jared, who is in Boston, and he's asking a really interesting question about God's commandments and the results of following those commandments. Here's Jared's question. Hi, Bishop Barron. Thank you for taking my question. This is Jared from Boston. I want to understand what is the promise that God, that Christianity, that Catholicism gives to us if we keep his commandments? Is it eternal life? And what exactly is eternal life? Thank you. Yeah, good. In some ways, that's the question of questions. It's, it's about um, the ultimate end. You know, I'd say this, um, the goal held out by Christianity is one greater than, than any other system of thought, any other philosophy, any other religion. I'll go that far. Why? Because the goal held out by Christianity is divinization, is to become a sharer in God's own nature. Now, the condition for the possibility of divinization is the Trinity, because the Father sends the Son all the way out even in, into the limits of God forsakenness, even into sin and death. So as to gather all of us now into the spirit, which is the love that connects the Father and the Son. So the whole purpose of Christian life, it's not just to be morally upright. I mean, any Seneca or any or Confucius, any moral philosopher can hold out that goal to you. Um, not just to come to the Elysian fields. I mean, those are old mythic expressions of, you know, to come to some wonderful kind of exalted earthly place. No, no, Christianity is much more radical than that. It's holding out real divinization to become a sharer in the divine nature. Now, what's the divine nature? Love. God is love. That's what the Trinity, the Father, the lover, the Son, the beloved, the Spirit, the love that they share. So love is what God is. To share in the divine life is to be drawn into the dynamics of love, which constitute the very essence of God. Um, how do you get there? Well, you get there through the great act of redemption wrought in Jesus. The commandments would be ways of ordering our lives now in, in harmony with the love that God is. So, I mean, think of the, the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. Think of the Beatitudes in the New Testament. They're all ways of ordering our lives according to love. So it means once I've been drawn into the divine household through the power of grace, I now need to live like someone worthy of that household. I now live in accord with its rhythms and demands, and that's what the commandments are all about. So that's eternal life. Eternal life, which I can begin to appreciate even now. Perform the simplest act of love, and, and you're participating, you're tasting what eternal life is. Now, on high, with God, the fullness of it is this full participation in the very nature of God. That's what the Christian life's all about. That's the goal. That's eternal life.
Thanks for the great question, Jared. And if you have a question that you'd like to ask Bishop Barron, you can do so at the website, askbishopbarron.com. That's where you can record it. And every episode, we take at least one question from our wonderful listeners. As we wrap up here, I want to encourage you one more time to pick up your copy of our brand new book titled Return, How to Draw Your Child Back to the Church. It is jam-packed with advice, strategies, wisdom on how to draw really any loved one back to the faith. I wrote the book myself. Bishop Barron contributed a really great forward. So if you're a parent, a grandparent, a ministry worker, a parish worker, um, if you're a teacher, if you have young people in your life who have drifted away from God or the church, this is the book that you want to read. It's titled Return, and again, you can get it at return.wordonfire.org. Well, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on the Word on Fire show.